Welcome back to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Looking forward to talking about learning science and learning engineering. With me, I'm joined by Ulrich Boser, the founder of the Learning Agency and the Learning Agency Labs. Ulrich, welcome to Trending in Education. Thanks so much for having me here. Really grateful. Yeah, and as I've been digging around, looking at what's new and what's emerging trend-wise, there are some long-standing trends that are continuing to see traction. One of them is really around the concept of learning science. We've talked about learning science several different times on trending in education, but I'd love to get your perspective as someone who was in on this concept and really evangelizing the power of learning science, uh, you know, five, 10 years ago. I'd love to get some of your uh, longer view on what learning science is and how is it an emerging trend that folks should be keeping track of. Yeah, uh, really happy to discuss this. Been working on science of learning for quite a while and seeing also some trends within that that I think really would be of, of interest to your uh, audience. Great, so what would you call learning science? How would you define it? Or, or is yeah. that a term that you use? Sure, yeah, so learning science, science of learning, I would define that or I see it as the body of work that goes around exactly how people learn. And it has sort of two strands to it. One is focused on social and emotional learning. And then a second aspect of it is really focused on memory. When we learn something, we store it in our memory. And how our memory works has some distinct patterns. And we can study those through research, through replicable research. And they really have been powerful implications for how people learn and that are valuable to anyone who's trying to learn or teach anything, whether it's a you know e-learning course or trying to get someone who works with you to figure out that very important accounting software. Yeah. So on the subject of the social emotional side, that's something that I like to, to quote Whitney uh, Houston and say, I get socio-emotional baby because I'd like to burst into song occasionally on the show and our listeners allow me to do that. But what, what's new and emerging in terms of that domain? Because like it, was, it was something within the last, say, five to 10 years, second half of, the, of the, the 2010s, it seemed to be something that was such a rising tide that maybe it was getting a little stale. So I would be yep. curious from your perspective, what's new and emerging within the, the domain of social and emotional learning you know, heading into the 2020s? Yeah, so in my mind, when it comes to the science of learning, what is new and I think what's really important for folks to pay attention to is the application of it. So we now have decades of research behind some very discrete principles like retrieval practice, this very simple idea that if you pull something out of your uh, brain, you're going to learn it a lot more. And so, you know, this is a, a hard practice to do at scale. So we know about retrieval practice, but, you know, uh, just even recently I was preparing for a speech and retrieval practice would suggest that I should put the speech away and just, you know, sit in a room by myself and speak yeah. it out loud. But it's so easy to just, you know, get caught reading the speech over and over again. And right. So when we look across the landscape, just seeing different platforms, different educators, whether it's you know more low stakes quizzing, trying to encourage retrieval practice more in online platforms, yeah. so people yeah. summarizing research, 
you know, really seeing that transition from, okay, this is now really clear. It works in the lab. What does it look like in classrooms? And what does it look like in different classrooms? Right. We know these principles work, but like in medicine, there are going to be different populations, different contexts when these types of interventions work more. And so now really trying to understand when does it work for who and, and when, and taking these principles and, and really making sure that they work for educators and work for students. That's awesome. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, the old saw of the kid saying, are we going to be quizzed on this? You know, and it turns out he was a, he was a budding learning scientist because if, if he knew that he was in fact going to be quizzed on it, he was more likely going to A, pay attention because he was going to be quizzed. I mean, that's the reality. And then secondly, by virtue of being quizzed, it would help consolidate and reinforce his memory. The other part of the social emotional that I'd love to get your perspective on is really the first part of that example the motivation side, like how do, how do we think about really ga gaining the learner's attention and then motivating them to lean into the hard work of learning? Because the other, the other concept that you were putting out there reminded me of the, the idea of desirable difficulty too, where like you actually want to have enough resistance in the system to kind of keep the learner engaged, but, but not too hard and, and then if it's too easy, maybe they drift. So, so I'd love to get some of your perspective as, a, as a, a thought leader in learning science. How does the motivation side of the equation work? Yeah, motivation is incredibly complex. I think as all of us know, you know, sometimes you're looking to do things for the reward. Sometimes you're doing for that intrinsic motivation. And mm -hmm. when I think about the trend within that specific field, really just growing more and more interested and in seeing more and more people talk about Chris Holman's work. He's uh, down at UVA and really trying to think about relevancy. And when you think about relevancy, I think he does a nice job at saying it's really from the audience to the material. So a lot of times people think about, oh, I'm going to make this material interesting, let's say statistics, by just um, you know maybe sprinkling in Whitney Houston jokes yes. or talking about talking about baseball, right? And right. you know that's sort of one way, right? That's going to be of interest to the people who you know watch baseball or even just care about sports. And from his research, what he's found is that if you find people to create their own connections to the work, that's really a, a lot more powerful. So if you were to, as an example, have each person write down you know why they need to learn statistics. For some uh, individuals, it might be that they know that they're going to become a, a nurse and they need to understand that maybe, you know, they like gambling, maybe, you know, right. uh, whatever it is that makes it relevant to them. And so I, th I found that really powerful, this idea mm -hmm. and, and seeing more and more people talking about it, that motivation and, and relevancy in that is really this one way. It's not something necessarily being created by the platform or the environment or the kind of educational ecosystem. It's really from the person to the material. And so what are ways that we can spark people to get interested in, in that way? And I, I imagine that, that that's a fascinating answer. And I imagine that triggers some challenges to the instructional designer too, where if you can't, if there isn't relevance to what you're teaching, if there's a misalignment of the skills that you're teaching to the, the audience's level of engagement, it almost requires you to go back to the drawing board and, and start thinking about, well, why am I teaching statistics? You know, like what, so like, so I, I think there's the, like there's a second side, I guess, to relevancy when it comes to designing instruction. And could you talk a little bit about that? I'd be curious your take. Yeah, I mean, 
Well, there's some material which people are really excited to jump in on. And, and you know, we all have those wiki pages where we want to learn about some little thing that you or uh, happen to, to geek out on. Then there's other material, right, where it's uh, Excel pivot tables. I'm going to go out on a limb here and just say that I don't think there are a lot of people out there who wake up in the morning and are like, oh, Excel pivot tables. That's what I need to learn today. But sometimes, you know, you need to eat that, those vegetables. And so then the question is these vegetables and those vegetables are going to be, you know, broadly speaking, different for different people. It's sort of how you present those. And then, you know, how at the beginning you can even just say like, Hey, today we're going to learn about Excel pivot tables. How are you going to find this useful in your work? How are you going to find this useful? And some people are going to say, yeah, this is going to be great for my office job. Some people are going to say, hey, I'm planning a wedding. And you know, yeah. this is going to be a great way for me to figure out um, how much in debt I'm going to go or how much in debt my, my children are going to go. And so really just trying to bring people along so they can find out how they are going to make it relevant to their, their own lives, as, as opposed to, I think, in a lot of instructional designers, and, and really anyone, it's just sort of a metacognitive problem. You just assume people are going to be interested or they're going to be interested in the same reason that you're interested in, as yeah. opposed to letting them find their, their own way, their own connection. I love where you're going with that because that also you know, reinforces the idea of the benefit of a diverse and inclusive group, especially when they can hear each other's takes. Because then as an instructor, you can start to demonstrate the, in the, the uh, spreadsheet example, demonstrate the flexibility of the tool and the fact that us humans are so great at applying, you know, tools to novel situations. Really, really, really interesting stuff there. And I, I, I uh, get excited about this topic as, as well. And I think, you know, trying, as, as you said, to, you know, be inclusive. And then also, I'd like where, where you had set that up, and, but also allowing people to also really bring their own histories to that yeah. and, and acknowledging that these are going to be different paths that we're on as we learn. Yeah, fascinating stuff on the social, emotional side. And the other thing that if we get a chance, I'd love to get your perspective on uh, artificial intelligence and so like how we, we recently did a few shows about some forecasting that was saying, you know, human, it's likely that human creativity will still outstrip AI, AI's ability to make a lot of lateral connections and be quote unquote creative in a lot of the ways that we currently measure uh, human creativity for, for at least the next 10 years. And that as a future facing trend spotting educational show that opened up a lot of really interesting questions around, you know, what will continue to be human, what may be a blend of human and non-human and, and then thinking about how emotional intelligence kind of can connect to that, like where humans are going to have to be able to work both with AI and with other humans to kind of be effective in the future. So lots to, lots yeah, I mean, to chew on there, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I would push, you know, push back. And this is certainly a joke that a lot of people make uh, or have made, you know, you, you say AI, if, if you want to get headlines, yeah. And you refer to sort of machine learning or Python scripts. Uh, yeah. if, if you really want to uh, embrace the folks who are excited to, you know, get into the nitty gritty. And, you know, when we talk about AI, it's just such a huge concept. Trying to break that down, I think, you know, is, I think, really important. I would, I'd really argue that, you know, natural language processing, uh, which is, of course, a subset of AI, is by far going to have the most impact when we think about education in the next years. And some of these other AI things, while exciting, like, you know, making lateral connections, are really pretty far off. Yes. Well, NLP is something that, 
you know, it still has lots of hurdles. The machines still don't really understand human language, but a tremendous amount of applications there for education that are really rich. Some of them rolled out already. And, you know, beyond that hype, as people think about AI, just trying to go into those specific domains. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, emotion detection or feedback or, you know, machine learning or big data. But, you know, I, within that, I think NLP, this natural language processing is, is really the trends in the shorter term that I think can have a, a much bigger impact. Yeah, no, that, that's uh, that's great insight. And, and related to that, there's this concept of learning engineering as opposed to learning science or as, as sort of like an additional context to apply to how you think about learning more broadly. It does seem to relate to some of this as these emerging technologies, whether it's around natural language processing or other emerging technologies, as I understand it from what you were describing as we were setting up, the learning engineering is, is almost the, the connection to technology and digital solutions. I'd love to hear maybe you flesh out a little more the distinction between learning science or the science of learning and learning engineering. Sure. I know you've had other folks on the show like uh, Brewer Saxberg. I'm a huge fan of, of his, really one of the pioneers in this work, talking about you know learning engineers and as a way of thinking about richer forms of instructional design. You know, as our team and, and other groups have been involved in the space, the learning engineering is, is has a slightly different flavor to it and really thinking about computer science meets science of learning and mm -hmm. for us that's really thinking about you know how can we use these uh, big platforms big data to better understand how people learn and you know, this is a show of course talking about trends and you know those new ideas that excite people within education but there are some like basic rudimentary concepts in education that we actually don't have good research on my favorite example is should feedback be immediate or delayed? So mm. if you, when you mentioned desirable difficulties, Bob York's work, he'll argue that it's better if feedback's a little bit delayed. It makes it a little bit more difficult. There's mm. another body of research that says feedback should be immediate. Now, on my side, what I find remarkable is this question, feedback, immediate or delayed, is incredibly important, whether you're like potty training, yeah. getting someone to do Excel yeah. pivot tables. Right. Uh, Learning. whether to leave the blackjack table or not yeah so you know my mind that we don't have a good answer to that is is just remarkable so mm. how can we then use big data big platforms to figure out the answer to this and i think many other important questions in education and that's really what learning engineering is about taking uh large platforms big data really the the tools of modern data science and using them to do better work at understanding the science of learning. And there's some great innovators in this field, Neil Heffernan at Assistments, Ryan Baker at, at Penn. And, you know, they're all approaching it from somewhat different angles, but mm -hmm. doing some fascinating work melding that kind of computer science plus learning that I think is really, really fascinating and potentially quite, quite powerful. Yeah, and uh, a lot of the real innovation happens when you get inter interdisciplinary, cross-disciplinary. You sort of break out of a single silo and sort of like uh, the equivalent of Ghostbusters crossing the streams. You know, you take a little bit of computer science and then you bring the science of learning in and it's a, it's a beyond an additive interaction. You actually sort of increase in a, in a more uh, profound way. And that's really the promise of AI too, like as the instrumentation 
of our learning experiences get better, you start collecting data points that then can really refine and tune the, the interventions that are given to you, the, the real promise of adapt, adaptivity. Those are the types of things that may be unlocked in the next, say, five to 10 years. It's kind of an exciting time to be at those points of intersection, I imagine. Yeah, it is. It's really exciting because what we see from big data and from CS is just really lots of exciting new tools, whether they're in natural language processing or emotion detection. You know, I mentioned Neil Heffernan recently where they've been doing some really interesting work on, on wheel spinning. So, yeah, and I think the name of the paper is, you know, it's something along the lines of, you know, can grit go too far? These mm. instances where a student, and, and this could be on any platform, answers, you know, seven, 10 questions in a row incorrectly. And, you know, that's something that we're increasingly able to detect. Uh, mm. Clearly not something that we want students to, to do. It leads right. to that sense of kind of frustration and powerlessness that we, you know, know leads yeah. to, to dropping out. And how can we use tools to identify that early? Not too early, right, to reduce that, that grittiness, but enough so that, you know, and certainly I remember uh, like skiing for the first time, you know, you yeah. fall down again and again. It's just like, right. oh my God, I just want to go home. How can right. we prevent that that feeling from from happening you could probably figure out a way to prevent golfers from throwing their clubs into into the water for example among among other things we did we got some time on the the social emotional stuff which was great whitney houston got her due we also spent some time uh talking about the engineering and the intersection between the science of learning and computer science i'd like to maybe close with your thoughts on what's new and emerging more on the cognitive side like the more application of learning, stuff that we learn about learning that sometimes maybe stays a little more abstract and doesn't turn into practice. Uh, I'd love to get some of your perspective on what's new and what's emerging on the more cognitive side, because I'm always fascinated by cognitive hacks and how do I make myself sharper? And are there, yeah. are there techniques that are emerging? Are there things that I should be thinking about? I'd love to get, get some of your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are researchers who I, you know, really love to follow. And Rich uh, Mayer, who's at UCSB, uh, I'm sure his name has been uh, dropped around here before, but he and others, John Sweller down in Australia, have been doing, you know, just interesting work on cognitive load. So how can we reduce the amount of extraneous information so that people learn more effectively. So one example of this is, you know, having background music in videos, uh, instructional videos turn out to be uh, less effective. And his most recent work, I find this really powerful in part because I, I do like going onto YouTube and watching instructional videos. Uh, mm -hmm. I had to put together a, a tent recently and, you know, went on there. And so most instructional videos, as many of your listeners might know, you know, we're on a Zoom right now. So you know, the person is facing the camera. But it turns out that there's some good evidence from Mayer's lab and others that show that what's actually more effective is to have the camera kind of ride on your shoulder while you're, you know, if you're pulling together the tent or fixing the car mm. And one of the theories as why this is true is, is cognitive load that, mm -hmm. you know, if, if the teacher is facing you, you know, then you have to actually kind of flip everything in your mind as opposed mm -hmm. to like riding along on, on the shoulder. So, 
you know, to answer your question, in my mind, cognitive load, you know, how can we make sure that people are learning exactly what they're supposed to be learning? Some really fascinating stuff on there. And then that uh, one example I find just really powerful when you just look at so many instructional videos, whether they're embedded in a, in a platform or, of course, free for anyone to digest, like something like uh, YouTube, how often this principle is uh, yeah. just, just ignored. Mm, yeah, and it's uh, it would argue for more uh, GoPro helmets on uh, on instructors, which which would be be an interesting thing to to experiment with. I does I did want to make sure we we spent a little time talking about the the lab that that you're operating. Uh, can you give, give our listeners some perspective on 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 that? Sure. The learning agency is actually two different organizations. The learning agency. Lab is our nonprofit where we're doing a lot of work to uh, share more about the science of, of learning. So we have uh, sort of a mini magazine blog. We're just you know, really trying to cover what we see as some of the latest developments and, and trends in this field. And then there's also the learning agency, which is more of a consultancy where we're working with uh, organizations and foundations and nonprofits to really uh, push their work. And, and mainly, um, really devoted a, as a, a mission-driven organization at a high level to scaling the science of learning. So often seeing people doing things like you know, using highlighters or talking about learning styles where we know there's no evidence. And then some other learning practices, whether it's spacing or cognitive load or retrieval yep. practice, where we know there's a lot of evidence. And what can we do to do some of that translational work within platforms or within ecosystems to really get that information out there to help people become more effective learners? That's fantastic. Yeah, it's definitely worth a follow, worth tracking. I think I tracked Ulrich down on Twitter, where where you're posting on occasion as as an individual. And the learning agency and the learning agency lab are the the places to find all this work. And and then as we as we wrap up here, Ulrich, I'd love to hear maybe outside of learning, maybe it relates to learning more broadly. Any trends that are capturing your attention? Like what? What are you seeing emerging on the landscape? What's around the corner? What's sort of maybe an insider's take on what's new and emerging in the world today? Yeah, you know, I mentioned a, a little bit about emotion detection and gave the example of struggling students, but really excited about, you know, within the AI space, both in terms of natural language processing, where there's been some interesting work by Sydney DeMello and uh, Angela Duckworth, where they're able to use the language that students write in the common app to predict their uh, grittiness in college. So the degree mm -hmm. to which students talk about struggle and, and teamwork. So how can we do more to kind of identify, and Ryan Baker has been doing a lot of this work as well, identify that emotion to better figure out you know, where are they frustrated, where are they excited, use some of these big data tools to improve you know, instruction. One thing that we feel like is very young and uh, potentially really uh, powerful. Yeah, and I'd like the, cross, the crossover move there as well, going from, I think AI, there's almost a tendency to think of it as um, helping on the cognitive side and not helping on the more emotional, social side. But there's no, there's no reason why you can't apply that technology set to solve some of these more emotional problems. So I think that's a real, real interesting, interesting space to keep an eye on. Any parting, uh, parting thoughts, Ulrich? It was great to have you on. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for joining. No, would love to, you know, hear from your listeners, a powerful podcast and 
excited to keep up the conversation. Awesome. Ulrich Bozer from the Learning Agency, the Learning Agency Lab, a wonderful resource for folks who are interested in the science of learning and just staying out ahead of where the world is going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again soon on Trending in Education.